This episode of the Glossy Beauty Podcast is sponsored by Shopify Plus. From first pop of color to retail floor, you need a commerce platform to help you scale at the speed of your ideas. That's why over 5,000 of the world's fastest growing beauty brands like ColourPop, Lily Lashes, and Kylie Cosmetics rely on Shopify Plus to sell to their customers around the world. You'll be able to go wherever your customers are from New York to Instagram, and they'll make sure you look brilliant in every shade from pop-up shop to mobile. Learn more about Shopify Plus at shopify.com beauty. Hello, and welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss the future of the beauty and wellness industries with the people who know them best. I'm your host, Priya Rao, beauty editor at Glossy, and today's guest is Moj Madeira, the CEO of BeautyCon. In this episode, we talk to Moj about how BeautyCon became the center of the festival circuit, why diversity and inclusion are key to the success of their company, and how BeautyCon is taking on traditional retailers like Sephora. Hope you enjoy the episode. Glossy Beauty Podcast, we have Moj Madeira, the CEO of BeautyCon. Welcome, Moj. Hi. Moj, before you came over to BeautyCon, what was your experience in beauty and the industry at large? Um, I did not, I was not the founder, the original founder of BeautyCon. The original founder was a woman named Marina Curry, who started the company um, as a B2B conference. Um, and I I originally got involved in, in BeautyCon, which was more of a B2B uh, event in twenty August of twenty thirteen, and so uh, my relationship to beauty. I mean, I always really loved beautiful things and magazines and photography and fashion, but I certainly never would be caught dead inside a store like Bergdorf's or Barney's or anything that was like remotely quote unquote fancy. I didn't think that they necessarily were for me. Um, I also don't wear makeup and I don't wear women's clothing, so there's that. Um, so I, I would say I didn't necessarily have a relationship to beauty, but I had a relationship to fandom and audiences, um, mostly music and mostly hip hop, mostly art, mostly culture, mostly sneakers. Um, yeah. So like, I wouldn't say that I necessarily was like up on, uh, all of the biggest trends within the beauty category necessarily, but I, what attracted me to BeautyCon had nothing to do with the actual product. It had everything to do with the fandom around the audience. So when BeautyCon in 2013 was largely B2B, what did you kind of see the opportunity was for that fandom? I mean, as someone who's worked with brands their entire career, it's very rare. Like your every client and every partner always wants you to see you trending and they want to see an emotion from a consumer. Um, I'd never seen anything where you had 9,000 people lined up blocks and blocks down the line waiting. It was a very hot, hot day that day. I remember it was very hot. And um, people had been pull-out chairs and sleeping bags, and they'd been lined up since 4 a.m. for an event to meet beauty gurus, which at the time, like, you know, these people couldn't even get on, like, a PR list of anything. Um, But, like, you're talking about, like, you know, a Gigi Gorgeous or a Candy Johnson or a Dulce Candy. And, um, you know, people had driven in from, like, Riverside, San Diego, families, people were crying, people were waiting for hours to take images, and I'd never seen an influencer or someone with any sort of fame um, willing to stand there for hours and hours to actually, like, engage and interact with their consumer. So I think that's, like, it shocked me to see the 
like again, a brand, like a blue chip brand will pay millions of dollars to have a consumer facing event where they may get to touch the consumer in an emotional way. Um, I think we had spent like all of three weeks producing this event, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, We had put together, you know, like a handful of brands that were willing to come in and underwrite a portion of the costs. Um, And and, and we literally had like 12,000 RSVPs. And I remember thinking like, okay, 12,000 RSVPs, maybe we're going to have like 2,000 people show up. It was like nine nine thousand. I think it was like nine thousand three hundred people in the end. That this came was in twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen, yeah. In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, in a venue far too small for what we were trying to do. And what about the opportunity did you see for the influencers themselves and these creators? You know, as you said, they weren't getting on PR lists. They weren't necessarily established the way that some of the brands see them today. What did you think you were giving them? Well, I didn't think they were giving. We weren't giving them anything. I felt like they were. I mean, they seem like they felt like partners to us in the sense that I I knew that it was that a content creator is very smart. Like these are very smart, strategic human beings. They're in touch with their consumer. They understand product curation, product storytelling. They understand how to produce content. They understand how to create calls to action. Um, they understand. They they really under they're, they're really like honestly one of the best marketers that are out there. Um, so I would say it was more of an opportunity to learn from them, to create something new that was um, a new marketplace, a new platform, a new community. Um, it was pretty obvious that it was a matter of time, given that so many of these faces were, um, I would say, non-traditional faces um, of beauty, that it was a matter of time until um, that they sort of broke through and became mainstream, right? Because like the demographics of the world in our country are pointing to a non-Caucasian um, data point, right? Which just means that the world is, frankly, uh, more brown, more ethnic, more cultural, um, and wants to see representation. And so it was clear that there w- it would be sort of like a, um, a magical moment of like multiple different things touching each other at the same time. But that's not traditional of beauty generally. That had not happened before. And still we're in a place where, you know, diversity isn't completely mainstream in all at all brands. I mean, look, if you look at the you could say the beauty industry, but like look what happened to music because of SoundCloud. Right. So like what YouTube has done to the beauty industry, SoundCloud did to the music industry. Right. So if you look at the biggest producers, you look at the biggest artists within sort of the billboard charts, like a lot of these artists are people that broke through the underground. It's still peer to peer, but it's digital. So, um, you know, I think you look at like the sort of large explosion of trap. Uh, urban music within the sort of charts like I sort of in my mind at that time thought okay like this is what's happening in music like music has always driven the culture around everything Um, because like the virality of music is just massive Um, and so like if you look at beauty trends like okay it was very curated it was very composed that goes hand in hand with everything that was happening throughout the 90s, early 2000s, like music also felt like that. Um, And so I don't know, I can't explain it. I looked at like a lot of these big up and coming content creators and they occurred the same to me as like a Kanye West. I was like, oh, you're going to be like a self-generated superstar. Um, You know, I did this TEDx talk, which was like a terrible talk in 2012. And and, um, 
And I always talk about this talk because it was like my first public speaking engagement it was terrible. I remember I like cried so hard, like the day of, the day after. But what I, I was trying to tell a story, but I was so nervous I didn't know how to say it, which was I think Kim Kardashian and Michelle Phan might build billion dollar businesses. Um, and I knew that like, you know, it was laughable. Like people were just like, yeah, she's like totally on glue. Like this makes no sense. Um, and I remember this presentation because we went back and looked at it recently. But when you look at, like, the fact that, like, a Kim could then create a Kylie, a Jordan, a Steph Shep, like, a Jen Atkins, a Mario, a Baby Ariel, like, you look at the cosmicness of that, like, that's all community and that's all organic communication that the consumers just, they were dying for it. They wanted to connect to people beyond just how to put product on your face. So that community aspect is huge at BeautyCon. You know, you have upwards of like 30,000 people that attend the the conferences, the larger scale conferences, yeah. but it still has that community aspect. How do you facilitate that? I mean, I don't facilitate that. We facilitate that. It's a huge, I don't think anyone who works with us would say that we don't labor hour and hour and hour on um, the programming, the content, the creative programming, the communication, what goes on social, what goes through PR, who we're saying, like what the panel discussions are, how people are prepped, who we're, what guests we're having, what brands we're having, how they're going to talk about what they're. I mean, it's very high touch, um, and and it's in large part driven by our community. In large part, a lot of what we do is driven by our audience and our brand partners and our talent partners. So, I would say. I always think of myself as nothing more than like a vessel for those messages. But like our team internally is very hard on themselves to really try hard to deliver like the best curated content experience for like the audience and brand as a whole. We're walking into BeautyCon New York uh, this weekend. So what can you kind of tell us about some of those experiences or that curation that people were asking for here in New York? I mean, I think that there's a number of awesome brand um, experiences. I think we're really excited about our partnership with Dove this year. Um, and they have an amazing um, series of photography partnerships they've rolled out. One of them is with our friend Amanda Decadne and Girl Gaze. And so we're excited to see that. Um, we're doing some really cool things with Shea Moisture, and they're one of our larger partners. Um, I think the thing that that I think a lot about is just the panel and the panel topics. Um, so, you know, toxic toxic masculinity. Um, I think about um, you know Noor and Yara Shahidi's conversation around inclusion. Um, I'm obviously very excited um, and a little bit terrified, maybe, about the Cardi B conversation. Um, <laughs> because she's agreed to sit down with me and talk about financial literacy, patriarchy, pay equality, cashing checks, um, and sort of women taking on the conversation around generational wealth. And so, um, yeah, I think like probably the most interesting to see at BeautyCon this weekend will be the audience. Like if I was going as a consumer, what I would be going there to see is people watching. So who is that audience? How would you describe like the average BeautyCon goer? I don't even think there is an average BeautyCon goer at this point. I think that like we are so focused on mixing up this audience. Um, you will definitely see a lot of Upper East Side moms there this year. That I know because I've gotten a lot of email requests from people that I never 
um, would have guessed previously would be so interested. I think that um, what's cool about beauty right now is how inclusionary it is. Um, You know, I think that there's your fair share of screaming teenagers. There's a lot of aspiring makeup artists, aspiring talent, um, beauty, beauty, uh, I would say enthusiasts, um, a growing population of young men looking to um, be in the good company of amazing people. Um, a lot of, I would say, I don't want to say boys or girls, but like people who are really um, living their life through the lens of non-conforming to gender and just there to celebrate themselves. So I think it's a very wide breadth of people who now attend. Um, we've done, we've we've really focused very hard to make sure that that, that invitation to the festival is a uh, super welcome to everyone. So Moj, how do you kind of respond to um, the admiration, the competitiveness, I guess you would say, of other um, festivals that have come to market recently? You know, QVC is launching their own beauty festival this summer. Sephora came back last year. How do you guys distinguish yourself in this growing space? I mean, I think we're super flattered. I think that, I think we're super flattered that they all are inspired by what we're doing. We always help them when they call us because they are things that they, people have a really hard time with ticketing or programming. Like a lot of the things we do are, I would say, like if you were to talk to like anyone who's early team BeautyCon, like we literally killed ourselves to develop the brand talent partnerships. And the formula is a super unique one. And there's something totally disorganized and chaotic about it. But like it works for the DNA of who we are. It's very hard to replicate that. Um, it's not that dissimilar to like everyone who's like, I want to be the Supreme. It's like, I think that's great. I wish them all well. I think the more, the better. I think all ships rise with the tide. Um, I think Sephora should really check in with themselves about authenticity and community building. And um, I'm sure that they probably will. We'll be right back. The success of your business should never be limited by the commerce platform you run on. That's where Shopify Plus comes in. Whether you're kicking off an exclusive flash sale or an epic product drop, you'll be able to process thousands of transactions a minute without worrying about broken carts or crash checkouts. The new face of beauty powers your business with speed, scalability, and grace. Join over 5,000 brands on Shopify Plus at shopify.com slash beauty. Hey, Glossy listeners, Danny Parisi here, and I am back to talk to you about the fifth and final episode of Glossy Trend Watch Streetwear Edition. For this episode, we are joined by designer and grandfather of streetwear, Jeff Staple, to discuss the rising popularity of the collab, what separates a collaboration from a licensing agreement, and why he thinks streetwear is a virus. You can catch every episode of Glossy Trend Watch in the Glossy podcast feed. To stay up to date with the latest podcast from Glossy, be sure to subscribe and leave us any feedback you have. Now, back to the episode. How do you, you've said that before, you know, you've compared yourself to a Supreme or a museum of ice cream or places that, you know, find inspiration outside of the world of beauty. What about those brands or what about those experiences are informing or driving BeautyCon? I mean, I think of Supreme as not an apparel company, but an education platform. Um, you know, they've done a great job of educating a young consumer about artist and culture and moments in history that they may not have been uh, born in. Um, so they do a great job of sort of educating the larger audience on culture. Um, 
I love the Museum of Ice Cream. Um, my friend Manish is, you know, one of the co-founders there. And I think what they've done in terms of community and accessibility and just joy is inspiring to me on so many levels. And he's one of the people that I go to all the time to talk about what else can we do to push the envelope on community building experiences and brand. I, feel, I also think they've built a beautiful brand. Um, and so, I yeah, I don't think about, I'm not... I don't know that I look at other beauty brands as where we get a lot of our inspiration as much as I look outside. I don't know. I don't. Is that weird? I don't know. It's just like Not what it all. is. Yeah. Not at all. Um, Mosh, so much of what BeautyCon offers is also the social reach, the EMV. I know that that was part of the reasoning for launching the pop series. What yep. can you kind of tell us there? <clears throat> so I think at some point we realized like the festivals weren't a scalable business. Um what do you mean by that exactly? I think that you, I think that people want a beauty con experience uh, globally, but we can't bring this festival to them um, today. Um, we can choose a couple places globally and internationally that we can um, build out a new footprint, and we will, and we are. But I think what makes beauty con so like what works is like. Uh, food God is like, hey, I want to come to BeautyCon this weekend and it's in New York and I'm going to come by, right? And I think like New York and LA sort of provide that accessibility to just talent and consumers and interesting brands that want to just participate in this like moment. Um, BeautyCon pop is like the best way for us to take the DNA of everything good about the festival and take that pop-up experience of because like what's weird about us right is that like people are coming to buy a ticket to then go shopping right, right. and like mm -hmm. everything they're buying from us they could buy somewhere else right like we're not we don't have anything exclusive what we have is like an exclusive controlled climate and environment that people want to be in as a part of a community and so when you think about that like through the lens of like the reinvention of retail like what bit what big box is going through what big commercial commercial real estate's now going through the opportunity for us to take like sort of the Instagrammable museum of beauty with a program store. And, um, you know, we launched piloted pop in, in LA this year. We've now moved our offices into pop, which is wild. We now like our office is inside an Instagrammable museum and a store, <laughs> which is so rad. It's really cool. And, um, it's, it's, um, it allows us to essentially do a couple things. Take we get to partner with all of our large real estate partners domestically and internationally to take advantage of the um, remnant real estate that people have, where we can take spaces anywhere from three to ten months at a time, or so. In one case, we're taking it for eighteen months. Um, we can build out social moments. We can build out stores, and what's great is that these stores are now programmed with uh, the best of cult like sort of cult classics from legacy brands but also the big up-and-coming direct-to-consumer um brands and so like for pop we programmed 22 up-and-coming brands um that were all d to c um they were all female founders and i think that that's that's going to be really in line with how we move things forward so retail experiential retail and e-com is our scalability and how we scale I've heard that brands at BeautyCon, the festival, has can make over a million dollars or more at these festivals. Um, I don't know that I've ever heard that number per se, but okay. I, I think that people are repetitively involved in the brand because of it's not a secret that you do very well when you're selling on site and that our consumer is there to shop. 
Um, but people are also there for a big social experience as well. Um, so yes, on a compounded basis, we do very well and we do, um, we are a good partner to our brands to help sort of not just the sales day of, but overall um, inferred sales throughout the year. And we have ongoing year-round partnerships with a lot of our brand partners. Um, but also, I think they're really there to also use that as a marketing vehicle for themselves as well. So I would say it's it's a multi-pronged approach for them. Are you moving into e-commerce? Yes, we are moving into e-commerce with BeautyCon Pop. I think we are not moving into e-commerce through the traditional routes of just taking what you have in the store and throwing it on the site. We are going to take on the conversations around community, education, um, and e-com. And so it's experiential retail is like our the tip of the arrow. Um, and the way in which we scale that business is accessibility to public, regardless of being close to a pop or not, they will be able to buy those products. But there will be also additional layers of community and education. So how do you think that compares to, say, a Sephora or an Ulta? Um, different. Different lens, different DNA. I think that... It, it, I think that it's just a different approach. I and and I will say I like what Ulta is doing very much, and I think I think Mary Dillon's an incredibly impressive CEO and someone that I take note from. And um, I probably imagine that at some point we end up working with some of these partners as distribution partners for us. But um, but different. I think that these are established brands that are not necessarily approaching the audience and the market. Like, look, why why does Goat and Stadium Goods exist if Foot Locker exists, right? Like, hypothetically, Foot Locker should just be able to do that, but right. they but they but they can't, and so therefore, then they have to invest in companies like Goat and Stadium Goods and StockX. And so, you know, I think I think what goes for sneakers goes for beauty. Would you ever see yourself getting investment from some of those companies? Probably, maybe, at the right at, on the right terms. Moj, what can you tell us about those curated experiences that that curated pop experience in other cities? Do you see yourself doing something like the Twenty Two Female Founders again, or yes. what are you thinking? More, more diversity, more inclusion. I felt like limiting it to Twenty Two Female Founders, not including like if we're like all are welcome, and we didn't include gender. And really, like the sort of spectrum of gender through how our audience and and frankly, like at this point, it's funny, like even for myself, like how I think about it, like what am I, what do I fit, what category am I? I think like these are the questions I think about all the time. It's weird. It's like I feel like I've almost become I'm like 15 again, on some level, because I'm like trying to figure out like my own identity at the same time. Um, I mean, that's like if I was to say like why, like it's like a million people have been like why BeautyCon. It's like BeautyCon has allowed me the opportunity to change in a way that I don't know that I would ever get in any other job. Because, like, you just, you have this profoundly intelligent consumer that's just, like, is so paying attention to your every word that the moment you say something that's inauthentic, they just call you on it. And it's like, wow, I just really learned something about myself. How do you think those second-tier markets that necessarily don't have that, you know, facilitated for them easily, respond to something like BeautyCon? Huge. I mean, I feel terrible that we've never been able to go to, like, a Philly, a Pittsburgh, that we've not been able to go to New Orleans, to Atlanta, um, 
there's a lot. I mean, I think it's fair to say the internet has democratized content, identity, communication. You know, I think it's like 87% of Gen Z feels like they have, they have a friend in another country because they are actively using social platforms to connect and the barriers of where you live and your zip code no longer um, are really aligned to um, your input of information, right? So it's like it's entirely possible um, now. Like I have this this woman that I'm friends with in Johannesburg. I've never met her, but like we are so in communication all the time about beauty and fashion and what we should do when we come to Africa and what we shouldn't do. And it's just like I think Gen Z operates like that on full throttle. What cities are you thinking about next or international markets? Um, we think about Asia a lot. Um, it's a lot of opportunity and interest there for us. Uh, South America is also very interesting for us. Um, and then domestically, um, I'm excited about Atlanta. Yeah. So, Mosh, you brought on Alicia Valencia as president of BeautyCon about a month ago. Yep. She has a very different kind of background that you do, very legacy focused. What was the interest there? Um, I think Alicia Valencia is, you know, she has this amazing pedigree of, um, you know, it's like not that different to someone who came up during at Sephora, right? It's like a, or L'Oreal, it's like, you know, 24 years of Estee Lauder, like her pedigree to product development and curation and customer service is I mean, the questions she asked are things that no one in my company's ever asked. Um, um, they're not even questions I've necessarily asked. Um, she has also worked for incredible founders. She's like a founder junkie, right? So she's worked for Bobby Brown, who, if you've ever met with Bobby, she's the best flavor of crazy you've ever seen. Um, she's worked for Mindy Grossman, who's prolific executive and leader. Um, and then she's worked for Pat McGrath, who is like, um, you know, she goes in the same category as like a Picasso, right? She's she's Mozart for beauty. I mean, what she does is incredible. Nobody <laughs> else can do that. So so I think she's got an amazing pedigree in, in quality and legacy and control and scalability. Um, and I, you know, she's like, you know, came to this country as a four, four-year-old Cuban woman. Um, and she's just got that like really really amazing grit about her that I like in, in a partner. What do you think um, her experience will bring to changing or evolving what you guys are already doing? I think that her ability to attract uh, prestige and more premium brands to the festival, to pop, um, to bring legacy brands into the fold to help uh, to work with them so that we can help reinvent how they approach Gen Z, like she'll be a pivotal part of those conversations of how do we bring in Lancome? How do we bring in Estee Lauder? How do we bring in uh, La Mer? Like I think like all of these brands, uh, Revlon, that have been around, that have this like amazing legacy and heritage, um, want to be in the Gen Z space. And I think she's going to help um, transcend that conversation for them in terms of product partnership and curation. Um, she's also amazing at education and, and, and retail execution. So I think those are two areas where I really didn't have any expertise and she's a boss on those categories. How do you kind of educate those legacy players or heritage players to speak to Gen Z? I mean, it seems like a lot of them are trying, but not very successfully yet. I think, you know, people who lead like Estee Lauder and, and Revlon and, um, L'Oreal, like they're really smart. 
Um, I think like Jane Huddis and John Dempsey and Frederick Rose and, you know, Marie, who was longtime CMO of L'Oreal and Debbie Perlman, like these people are, they're no, they're really intelligent, smart people. And we've been working with them for a long time. I think it's hard having a legacy institution that needs to pivot towards, like, it's like, look at Pepsi, look at Coke, look at, look at Blockbuster. It's very challenging to like pivot your business model to a new market when you have the, um, when you have the burden of an overhead that it's difficult to say no to revenue streams that you know are temporary, but your quarterly reporting company like this, someone had said, I think it was like Warren Buffett or someone had said, maybe Bloomberg, that like he thought that like innovation was being stifled by like the quarterly earnings report for Wall Street and that it should move to like a once every six months. Because I think this like rat race of like having to like prove out these numbers like every three months like puts companies in, in a position where you know, like there's very few people that can do what Jeff Bezos and Reed Hastings have done, which is like, I don't give a shit if I'm not profitable. I'm building for the future. And there's not that many companies that get to do that. I have to ask, Moj, do you ever say no to brands who want to participate? In thousand percent. Yes. Why? Why? I mean, I think there's off brand, bad, ba- bad marketing, uh, inappropriate leadership. I mean, there's like a lot of reasons why we won't work with someone. Um in it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely happened. How do you kind of um, foster that kind of exclusivity, you know, with so many more people coming to the space and making sure that your experience is different from those from a brand perspective? What are you thinking about? I mean, we have the best. We have an awesome partnerships team. That's don't steal them. They're amazing. (laughs) Our company is awesome. We have a great team of people who are I don't even think I have to be that picky anymore because they're so picky. Like they're so they're like qualifiers of like who can and can't be in and floor space and shelf space. Oh, my God. Like this entire team, like over the holidays was going bananas over who these founders were going to be in the store and who should and who shouldn't. And were they really female founded? And, uh, you know, was the product up to par and was it organic? And what I mean, it's you have a team of people who are very passionate about the selection. So. I think, again, that's just part of the DNA of who we are. Last question, Moj. In terms of community, what kind of you know response has, has your community given you when things don't work or when things they don't like? Oh, they're really honest. Brutally honest. Anything you can share? A million times. I mean, for sure. I mean, like, I'll never forget back in 2015, we had, like, a terribly small venue. We had worked with a production partner that we had never worked with before. I think they ordered, like... 5,000 bottles of water for 12,000 people. And like um, the next day, um, all over Instagram was a beauty con. (laughs) And it was um, all these influencers had gone crazy on me, like, you know, micro influencers, but they had gone crazy on me. And I mean, these people, I mean, if it wasn't for them, we would have never moved to Javits. We would have never hired an entirely new production team. We would have never had the conversations we have today about like experience, prayer room, is there a meditation room, you know, is there free water? Like it's like we go like these people who who catch us when they do, like it really helps make the product that much better. And like to this day, I'm still in touch with all of those people. Perfect. Thank you so much, Moshe. It was great having you. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. A special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. 
As a thank you for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, we're passing along a limited time introductory offer on a three-month subscription of Glossy Plus. Glossy Plus members have access to unlimited content, exclusive research, and more. Join today for just $49. That's 80% off by entering the code INTRO at checkout. For more information, head to glossy.co slash subscribe. Before you go, be sure to sign up for our new Glossy Beauty and Wellness Briefing, a weekly newsletter that will keep you up to date with our coverage and analysis of these growing industries. Sign up is simple and easy. Just head to glossy.co slash beauty email to join today. We'll talk to you next week.